Good morning, church family, and welcome to worship on this beautiful, cool, crisp October morning. I am so glad you're here to worship with our church family this morning. If you're a guest, we ask that you'd fill out your connection card that can be found in your bulletin. It has a little blue box on it. And if you're a first-time guest, we ask that after the service you would meet with... Our pastor is not here today, so... Um, one of us staff members will be out in the back to meet with you. <laughs> to meet you, I just realized he's not here today. Um, and having said that, we will have a guest preacher today, and it is David Anderson. He is a church member. He teaches Sunday school in third grade, but he also works at Louisiana Baptist Convention and is the children's strategist. And we're so grateful that we have you here today, David, to preach for us. And so we look forward to hearing what God has to um, say to us through um, his word today. We have an exciting day of worship with us this morning. If you can't, if you didn't know, our preschoolers are right down front getting ready to sing, and then we have both of our other children's choirs ready to sing this morning and worship too. So it's going to be a wonderful day of worship this morning. I ask that if you have a child that is singing, after they finish singing, you stand up where you are so they can spot you and they can come sit with you. Preschoolers, will come to you, and if you would like to take them out to extend a session, that is fine um, to do that. But we are glad that we get to hear them sing praises to the Lord this morning. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you so much for this day of worship. We thank you for the reminder that you are, you are all around us. These children are such a joy and a blessing, and thank you for the reminder that you can use little ones to even lead in worship, Father, and I thank you that we recognize that and allow them to be a part of our worship services, Lord. We pray that as Stuart is away this morning, you would be with him as he travels, keep him safe and protect him so that he can come back and um, shepherd our flock, Lord. We pray that you would be with David today as he speaks May you speak through him, and may you lay on our hearts the things that we need to be obedient to do as we leave today, Father. Thank you for inhabiting our praises this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. preschoolers have started us off in worship wonderfully today. They've even got a little holy motion going on. Amen. That is good stuff. We're going to sing together and lift high the name of the Lord, all creatures of our God and King. Let's stand together and sing.
Amen. Give the Lord an ovation of praise today, all creatures of our God and scheme. Please be seated as our fourth through sixth grade choir comes and sings for us now. It may take us a little while to get there, but we're still going to get the message of Jesus out. Amen? I'm so thankful for that truth and testimony that the Lord rescues us from eternal death. Amen? And he is our vision today. Lord, be our vision in all that we do. Would you stand and sing with us this great song of our faith, Be Thou My Vision.
Praise the Lord. Please be seated. Our first through third grade choir will come and lead us in worship now. Ushers, if you'll come forward. Jimmy Holson back. Come and lead us in prayer. Aren't you thankful for our children's choirs today? They are, yes, amen. Give the Lord a praise for that. They are the future worship leaders of our church, the future choir members, amen. That's right. And I'm just so thankful for uh, all of their strong voices today. It, it's a great day to lead in worship. I'm not. You're going to pray. Amen. All right, Jan, lead us in prayer. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We do thank you for the many blessings that you've given us, Lord. We just praise you for those. Lord, be with us today. Be with those that are in need of healing. Lord, we ask you to be with them. And for this time of service, God, we come to you with our tithes and offerings. We ask you to bless them and increase them and help unify your word throughout the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm 
Well, amen. Good morning. How is everyone? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm great. I'm glad you asked. Um, I'm excited to be here this morning. I am David Anderson, um, and I do teach third grade Sunday school, my greatest honor at our church. There's not a greater honor. Um, I love my third graders in Sunday school. I even like them when they become fifth graders. Um, they're still kind of cool, and so, kind of, you know. Um, and so, um, the, I love doing that. I will tell you, there's always more room, and because I have the pulpit, I can say this. We are, there's an opportunity for someone to teach in fifth grade every week right now, in fifth and sixth grade. Kayla Paul could use a teaching partner to come and help her. There's also opportunity once a quarter to come and teach with extended session. I promised Brenda Mills I'd get that in. And so, um, you can see me or see Kimberly Aguilar afterwards and sign up for that. Y'all, it's a ball. You get to know kids like Jet, who was in the preschool choir, who was waving at me during the time because I serve extended session with him once a quarter. And so I have a great time with that. Um, well, I'm excited to be here. If you have your scriptures with you, take them and turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. What we're going to talk about this morning is something very near to my family. And I've got to remember that I've got people behind me. Y'all look good back there. Y'all look good. I can't, you know, but I've got to remember, I can't, you know, what I'm checking on. And so um, we're going to go to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And what I'm going to do this morning is I want to tell you the story of my family. You know, the greatest things that I've learned about God were not in seminary. I learned knowledge in seminary, um, or I tried to um, when I went to class. Um, I learned knowledge in seminary. Um, and it's not from the reading the scriptures, although that gives me knowledge about God and I learn more about him every day when I dive into his scriptures and he always points me back to him. But really some of the best things I've learned about God is from being a parent. 
my journey and my journey in life. You know, there's so much that we read in Scripture and we kind of see that and then something happens in our life and we're kind of like, oh, that's what God was talking about when that happens to us. Family is kind of that that happens to me and that I get to do that. So we're going to read Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, and then we're going to unpack it. And I'm going to tell you the story of my family and what God's taught me through my family. So if you have your scripture, start with me there in Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to be reading in, chapter, in verse 4. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Let's pray together. Father, we just come to you this morning with amazingly grateful hearts. Father, that you would think to adopt us. Father, that you would think to adopt me. Father, may the story of my family today, Father, as it springs from your scripture and the lessons that we have learned from that, Father, may it have an impact on someone today. Father, may it have an impact on me, and may none of us leave this room the same people that walked into it. For it's in your son's precious name I pray, amen. Y'all, I want to tell you about the story about my family, and I've got a picture of my wife and I um, at the beginning, the Andersons in the beginning. Yes, I had a mustache. In fact, there you go. <laughs> in fact, when we first met, I had a full beard, and it was red. Um, and um, had that for the longest time. I finally shaved the beard and had just a mustache. Um, and then at one point, I shaved that and have not looked back on that. I've thought about growing it back, but I look like a creeper when I do. So I just leave it off. Um, but um, that's us. Yes, it was in 1986, as you can tell by the big poofy sleeves the bows and the hair, um, we were styling and profiling. And let me tell y'all, we had plans for our life. When you got married, if you've been married any amount of time, don't you remember, think back to your wedding day, and you think, I've got plans. I mean, we've got our whole life planned out. And we did. We were going to get married. We were going to be happy. We were going to be rich. We were going to be, um, have 2.4 children because that was the average at the time. I'm not sure how the 0.4 worked in there, but that was the average. And so we were going to do that. And so we had all these children and we were going to have kids that looked like us. I know that's your first indication of trouble. But I looked in the mirror and I thought I looked good. And so I thought, I want to I reproduce this and have kids that look like me, you know. And so we got married and we had all these plans. And my wife will tell you, she married me really for two reasons. And I know you're thinking it's personality and looks, but it was not. She married me because she didn't want to be married to a preacher. And the life I was living at the time, there was no way I was ever going to be a minister. She just knew that was not going to happen. And she had been dating a guy, a real loser, but she'd been dating a guy that was going into ministry. And she dated him for several years um, when I came along. And so she decided that she liked this kind of wild, you know, loose guy. And she kind of thought, he'll never be a preacher and I don't want to be a preacher's wife. So this will work out perfect. And the second reason she married me was she never wanted to leave Oklahoma. All of her family, yeah, you're seeing how this worked out. All of her family lives in Oklahoma. Like her grandma, came to Oklahoma in a covered wagon. I mean, they go way back in Oklahoma. All of the aunts, the uncles, everybody lives in Oklahoma. They all live within an hour of each other. And I loved Oklahoma. Now, my family didn't live that way. My family's from Minnesota, and they, we were the only ones that lived there. I had uncles in California and South Texas and um, grandparents that lived in Chicago area and in Minnesota. And so I was not used to that, but I loved Oklahoma. And Oklahoma was my home. It's where I was born and raised. Had no desire to leave Oklahoma. And so we had our plans. We would live in Oklahoma City. We would cheer on the Sooners, Boomer Sooner. They won yesterday, beat the Texas Longhorns. Greatest victory of the year. Um, and I promised Stuart I wouldn't say boomer sooner, but you knew I had to at some point. Um, and so, um, so we were going to live there all our lives. About three years into our marriage, God spoke to us, both of us, and said, I want you to go in the ministry and I want you to move to Texas. Now remember, she married me so that she would marry married to a preacher and she could live in Oklahoma. 
Well, we moved to Fort Worth and thinking, well, we'll go to Fort Worth, we'll get our seminary, and then we'll go back to Oklahoma. From seminary in Fort Worth, we moved to Virginia with the only grandchild at the time. And then we moved from there, we moved to South Louisiana, from there to South Florida, from there back to Oklahoma, we thought we were home again, and then God moved us back to Louisiana. And now we're home. And now this is our home. But we had all these plans, and you know, sometimes when we have all these plans, God kind of stops us and says, wait, I've got other plans for you. And just wait until you see what unfolds. Because if he had unfolded it for us before, I don't think we would have been able to handle that. But he took it and he unfolded it for us slowly. So I want you to see our family today. There's our family today. Now this was taken about a year ago now um, in Tulsa at a wedding of a high school friend of my son's. But you can see my family there. So if you don't know my family, um, I'll point them out to you. That's Cooper on the far right. That's our oldest son. His wife, Ploy, and our, son, our grandson, Kai. And then my daughter, Chloe, and my daughter, Cece. My wife and I in the background. So that's us today. That doesn't look like we had 2.4 kids that look like us. And it doesn't look like we went along and didn't go in the ministry and stayed in Oklahoma. But what we tried to do all along our life is to follow the next step that God had for us and try not to get ahead of Him. And y'all, that's hard to do. I don't know if that's hard for y'all. It's hard for me. Because I'm always like, okay, God, what's next? What's next? I'm 58 now. I've got at least 15 years of good work left in me. I mean, that's my plan. I'm going to keep going, you know. And God might have other plans, but we're just going to follow the next step. I know that I'm 58, and God's got me here, so I'm going to stay until I'm 59. And then I'll work on 60. Oh, boy, that sounds tough. But I can make it. And so we've got to take each step at a time as we go. But here's the thing he's taught me. I want to tell you about my kids. So my first son is Cooper. He was adopted when we were in seminary, which doesn't make any sense at all. But if you can move on to the Cooper's um, slide, there's Cooper, a closer-up look of him. He was adopted. He's from South Korea, born in Seoul, adopted at the age of three months and three weeks. He came home. And people ask us if we went to a foreign country to pick him up, and we always say yes, went to Memphis. Um, and so um, at that time, they would escort the children home sometimes uh, that were being adopted. And so they had, um, we went to Memphis, Tennessee, to the airport there, met them at the gate, got to go to the gate. That was back when everybody could go to the gate. And um, we went to the gate and met them. And he came off the plane in pink frills and with hair standing up. So we went to the closest Kmart at the time and bought him some blue clothes and some moose to moose his hair down. Um, and we've been doing it ever since. He is now 26, and he's married to our daughter-in-law, Ploy, who you see there, who, who if you were here in July, you got to see my daughter-in-law get baptized. Um, she is from Thailand and um, was raised in a Buddhist background. Um, and so she is then, for two and a half years, they've been married, and we've been praying over them and loving on them and loving on her and sharing the gospel with her as it went along. And then this last summer, it just kind of clicked for her. And Keith Manuel, actually, my boss at the Baptist Convention, sat at kids' camp and led her to the Lord at lunch. Um, and she came to me and said, I confess Jesus. And I said, amen, that's wonderful. And so she is now our daughter-in-law. And then you see Kai, and he is the greatest thing ever. Can I tell you something? When you see these pictures of my kids, parents, I want to tell you, if you don't have grandkids, pull your kids in close. Love on them. Pour everything you have into them for this one reason. You are raising your grandparents' parents, your grandkids' parents. And you want your grandkids to have the best parents ever. Now, your kids, at one point, you're going to just whatever, okay? But that grandkid, you're going to love it. They used to tell me that, and now that we have a grandchild, I can tell you, I'd sell every one of my kids down the river for that grandbaby. Um, he's amazing. You can pray for them because they're in Thailand right now. Um, not Cooper. He's here, but Ploy and Kai are back in Thailand. And I saw yesterday that they went to the temple to make merit that um, Ploy's mom did. And Ploy and I had a long conversation about that because she knew they'd do that at some point and what should she do in that situation. And so I appreciated that she was thinking in those terms and they took Kai with them. And so you can pray that they're immersed back in that. Um, and we've given her daily readings and everything, but they're amazing. And so that's our son. And then we got to our first church in Virginia and another little surprise came along. And that's our daughter, Chloe. There she is right there. Now, Cooper's original name was Kim Young Chul, and Ploy's original name is Ananong Sankow. 
I've practiced these, okay? Chloe's original name was Ngo because she's from Vietnam in a village just north of Hanoi, about an hour north of Hanoi. And so we went to pick her up, um, and we did go to Vietnam to pick her up. We spent a week in Hanoi. It was an amazing time there, an amazing city. Um, and we went to pick her up, and as soon as we picked her up, we knew that there were some issues physically with her. And so we've dealt with that. She has cerebral palsy and some other things, but you know what? It doesn't slow her down one bit. She is still the joy of our home and brings um, a solid rock to our home. And so we're so glad to have her. And um, so that was her original name. And then I, just because you think I'm crazy, I'm going to prove to you I'm crazy. Here's our youngest daughter. I'm 58 and we have a 10, an 11-year-old, okay? And this is Cece Marie. Um, and you can see her. She is from the Democratic Republic of the Congo in Africa. And yes, after I was 50, I felt like God was telling us to adopt one more time. And I was so scared to go home and tell my wife that. Um, you know, some of y'all just walk in and tell your wives anything. I walk in tenderly and gently when I go to tell my wife something, especially when we're both, all, well, I was over 50 and she was, I'm sure, not far behind. Um, and I walk in and say, I think God's telling us to adopt another child. And I was shocked when I said it to her and she goes, you know what, he's been kind of telling me the same thing. And I said, wow. She goes, but not a baby. I said, no, I'm done with diapers, you know, a little older. And so we went on the journey in 2013 and brought Cece home three years ago in 2016. Um, and she is the joy of our life. Her original name was Sakila Cotolo. And I tell you all this, and I want you to see my family this way for this thing, the things that I've learned as a parent through their adoption. Because when we look at the scripture, we see that, you know what, each one of us has our own adoption story. You know, anytime I talk about adoption, people always say, you know what, I've been touched by adoption, or my family has adoption, or I'm adopted, and, you know, things like that, or we adopted our children, and that's wonderful, and I love that because that's so dear, near and dear to my heart. But can I tell you, if you're a believer in Christ, you've been touched by adoption. The scripture tells us that every one of us was an orphan. And then when we accept Christ, he adopts us into his family. So let's look and see what that really means because he takes us and he changes our name and he puts us in a different family. And so let's see what Galatians chapter 4 tells us about that. The first thing we want to see is in verse 4 where it says in verse 4 that I got to find it again. When the time came to completion, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law. The first thing I want you to see there is the intentionality of our relationship. The intentionality of our relationship with God. Can I tell you, if you're a believer, it didn't happen by accident. It didn't happen by accident. You didn't wake up one morning and all of a sudden go, oh, hey, hey, I'm a Christian. You didn't walk into Kroger one day and pick up some apples and go, oh, apples, Garden of Eden. Uh, oh, hey, I think I'll be a Christian. No. Y'all, it was intentional from the beginning of time. When the completion of time came, that means God had been planning it all along. God knew that this time was coming. He had it planned. When the completion of that time came, he said, I'm going to do this, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son, and he's going to be born to a virgin, born under the law, so that, when we'll see this in verse 5, so that he might redeem them. Y'all, God was very intentional about that. Think about that. With our children, we had to be very intentional. With Cooper, we had to apply. Can I tell you, when you go through adoption, anyone that's ever gone through it can tell you, the first time you go through adoption, you clean everything. Because they come and they inspect your home. They look in your closets. They look in your bathrooms. They everything. I know, you're thinking, some of you are like, I'm never adopting. But they do. They come and look through everything. So on our first one, when we got checked out for Cooper, we cleaned everything. I mean, everything was in its spot. When they came and checked us for Chloe, we made sure there were no dishes in the sink. They might be in the dishwasher, but they were at least clean in the dishwasher, but they might not be put away. But it was pretty good. When they came and checked for Cece, those dishes could go in the oven because we learned they didn't open the oven. <laughs> so you could just slide those dirty dishes in the oven. But we had to be intentional about what we were doing. We had to go through psychological tests, and we had to give them three years of income. We had to give them all kinds of stuff, everything you can imagine. Our kids, when we got to CC, our kids had to be interviewed as to what they thought about what we were doing. Y'all, 
We had to be intentional. It didn't just happen by accident. We didn't show up in Memphis, Tennessee on a layover and someone was coming off a plane with a baby and just put that baby in our arms. We drove to Memphis. We applied. We said, we want this child. This child is ours. We got pictures of them. All three of them, we got pictures of them. And we said, that's the child we want. That's exactly the child we want. Y'all, we were intentional about it. We had to be intentional about it. And in the same way, God had to be intentional about each of us. Can I tell you, somebody at some time took the time to stop and explain the gospel to you. It might have been a mom or a dad. It might have been a grandma or grandpa, an aunt or an uncle. It might have been a Sunday school teacher. It might have been a friend somewhere. It might have been a teacher at school. But somebody stopped and said, let me explain to you what it means to be a Christian. Let me share the gospel with you. They intentionally stopped and did that. So if you're praying for your friends, if you're praying for your who's your one, here's what I urge you. You have to be intentional. You can't just pray for them. You have to say, okay, God, I'm praying for them. But God, open a door for me to share you with that one. That's what he means about our adoption. He wants to be intentional about us, and he wants you to be intentional about adopting other people. The second thing I notice here is in verse 5. Verse 5 says, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption of sons. And then in verse 6 it says, and because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The second thing I want you to see is, first off, that our relationship with God is an intentional relationship, but secondly, it's an intimate relationship relationship. The intimacy of our relationship with God, it is so intimate. The word Abba is a fascinating word, and I'm sure you've heard this talked about before if you've been in church at all. We'd like to talk about this word, but it only appears in Scripture three times. It's a word that's hard to translate, but it's the most intimate word we can think of for father, okay? And so it's kind of like when your kids come and they climb up in your arms, on your lap, and they say, oh, daddy, and you know, you know they're asking for something, but you enjoy the moment for a second, and then, you, and then they ask, but you're like, oh, yes, and they climb up in your life. Or when they've been hurt in some way, and they come and they just collapse into your arms. That's kind of the picture that you have of Abba. Okay, so if that's the most intimate picture of father and child, and God only uses it three times, then let's see where he uses it those three times. The first time he uses it is in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, and you don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you, but it's Jesus in the garden, right before he goes to the cross. And he's in the garden and he's praying, and he is just praying and praying, and he says in the midst of that, verse 36, and Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Y'all, it's when Jesus stops and says, Father, I know what's ahead of me, and I'm asking you if there's any other way, please, let's do it another way. But then he also says, because the relationship is so intimate, he also says, but I trust you. I trust you. Y'all, that's our relationship with God. How many times do we go to God and we say, Abba, Father, please take this away. Please, this pain, this discomfort, this whatever it might be, please, Father, do something. But then the proper prayer after that is, but Lord, I, I, I've poured my heart out to you, but whatever happens, I'm still going to trust you. That's our intimate relationship. And then we see that, and so we see Abba there, and then we see it in Romans 8, chapter 15, where... He's talking about adoption. It says, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Y'all, the word Abba, which is the most intimate word we can use for God the Father, is only used three times in all of Scripture, and twice it's in reference to adoption. 
Twice it's in reference to your adoption as a child. It tells me the intimacy of our relationship. Now, I see this in my own kids because when people look at our family, I'm always amazed when we walk into a restaurant with our whole family um, that people kind of stare at us, and I can't figure out why. I mean, I'm thinking, well, I'm pretty good looking. That might be why, you know. Um, my wife is stunning. That might be why. We're a little loud sometimes, you know. Um, that might be why. And I have to stop and think, why do people stare at my family? And then I look at my family, I have to go, oh. But you know, when I look at my family, I don't see us that way. When my son was little and we were living in the apartment in seminary, um, my wife was giving him a bath in the other room. And I was out, I'm sure I was studying, um, in the living room. And she was giving him a bath. And um, you know how kids, when they're little and they get out of the bathtub, you know, when they're like 18 months old, they love to do nothing but run through the house naked. I mean, it's just what they love to do. And so he got out of the bathtub, and he had that long hair still. And she, because his hair was wet, she slicked it back, and he came running. He got loose, and he came running out in the living room and just, whoa, you know, and screaming. And he came out, and I saw him and I, with his hair slicked back, and I hollered to my wife in the bathroom. I said, honey, with his hair slicked back like that, he looks Korean. <laughs> in my wife's wisdom, from the other room, she said, honey... He is. <laughs> but it was kind of a shock to me because I'd never seen him as my Korean son. I still don't see him as my Korean son. He's just my son. So when I see him and I'm with him, I don't think, I mean, I expect people to look at us and go, he must be your son. And he does act like us a lot. And so I think that must be it. But you know what? It's because of the intimate relationship I have with him. One time, Chloe, when we were driving home um, one night, because it's also how they see themselves. We were driving home from church one night um, when we lived in Lake Charles. We saw a shooting star, and it was just her and I in the car, and she was sitting in the back seat, and I was sitting in the front seat, and we were driving along, and she saw a shooting star, and she said, what's that? And I said, that's a shooting star. And then she said, what's that? And I said, because we had just come from church teaching about the truths of Christ and all the truth in the Gospels, I said, well, if you wish on a shooting star, you get anything you want. I know. I prefaced it with saying, well, some people say, you know, and she said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, some people say that when you wish on it, you can have whatever you want. And she said, I don't understand. And I said, well, like if you were to pray to God and you could pray for anything and it was guaranteed that you were going to get that, what would you pray for? And she sat in the back and she just thought and thought and she couldn't think of anything. And um, she said, I don't know. And I said, well, like, for example, if you could pray and you could say, God, take away my cerebral palsy. And she sat in the back and got real quiet in the back seat. Y'all, that's, let me just tell you, as a children's minister, that's when you need to be scared. If you can hear your kids, you're still okay. It's when they get quiet, you need to go check on them. But she got quiet in the back seat and started thinking. And then about 30 seconds later, the longest 30 seconds of my life possibly, she said, but why would I pray that? That's just part of who I am. Y'all, it hit me like a lesson from anywhere. Because she didn't see herself as a kid with cerebral palsy. She just saw herself as Chloe. She just Chloe. So why would she need to pray for that? That's just who she is. Y'all, it hit me how intimate her relationship with God was at that moment. That she was so close with him that she trusted him with everything. And that she just said, yeah, God, this is what I've got. It's different. But you know what? We've all got something different in our life. Y'all, we need to see our relationship with God that way. I don't see my children as my Korean son and my Vietnamese daughter and my Congolese daughter and my Thai daughter-in-law, they're just my kids. It's just my family. And that's because of our intimacy. Can I tell you something? God doesn't see us as his white children or black children or fat children or skinny children or um, children that read the Bible every day and children that struggle to read the Bible twice a week. Or He doesn't see us as all that. Does he see all those things? Yes. But he sees us as his child. And he loves us as his child. Y'all, if we could get a hold of that one thing, it would change our world. And in changing our world, it would change the world around us. So we see the intentionality of the relationship, and we see the intimacy of the relationship. And the third thing we see there is the permanency of the relationship. Look in verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. 
And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Can I tell you something? This is a vital doctrine that we need to cling to. I was raised in a church tradition that didn't believe that once you accepted Christ, once you were a Christian, then you were always a Christian, that the Holy Spirit had sealed you to salvation and to eternity, that, you know, you, I, we believe that you could lose that, you could walk away from that. And that was a struggle for me when I came to the Baptist church um, to understand that and to kind of grasp that. But can I tell you something? Once you grasp it, it's something that's unbelievable. When I look at my kids, and I've told my son this before, my son, I don't think it's any secret that my son has not always walked closely with the Lord. Um, I have not either, but he has had more recent times of that. Um, but I've told him, even in his toughest times, I've said, Cooper, you will always be my son. Always. In fact, I told him, I said, if you move to the most dark place on earth, as far as sin is concerned, I said, and I find out that you're a serial killer and that you have killed all these people. I said, I'm going to do two things. First off, I'm going to call the police and turn you in. I said, I, that's the right thing to do. I said, you, I won't be hiding you. You will get turned in. I said, but secondly, at your trial, I'll be sitting on the first row right behind you. Because it doesn't matter what you ever do, you will be my child. He didn't become my son because of what he did. He became my son because I loved him and I was intentional about having an intimate, permanent relationship with him. When we stood in front of that judge in Tarrant County, Texas, when we brought him home and we adopted him here, and I stood in front of that judge in Tarrant County, Texas, and I held him up, I'll never forget that judge saying, we were standing there and my wife and I and that judge said, now, if I sign these papers, I want you to understand, there's no going back. This is permanent. This will always be your child. And we said, we understand that. And he said, but I, I want you to really get it. He said, no matter what he does, you can't, there's no going back. He will be your child forever. And we said, we understand that. And I kind of held him there and I kind of patted on him and I said, judge, I understand that. We choose this child to be our child. And the judge said, okay. And he signed it, hit the gavel, and he was our son. I remember standing in front of the Communist Party officials in Bac Ninh, Vietnam, and through a translator, those officials asked me the same thing, and they said the same thing. They said, we want you to understand that once we sign these papers, this is your child. This will always be your child. And through the translator, I said back to them, I understand that. And I was holding her, and I said, because she was eight months old but couldn't move. And I said, I understand that. And I was holding her, I said, we choose this child. This is our child. And then with Cece, we didn't get to be in the courtroom when they did that. We had to sign paperwork, but in the paperwork it said, we choose this child. This child will forever be ours. There's no going back. Can I tell you, when you bend your knee to Jesus, when you ask him to come into your life, and you ask him to take control of your life, because you don't know where it's going anyways, but he does. And when you ask him to take control of your life, I can only imagine a picture of Jesus standing before God the Father when I did that. And Jesus holding me in his arms, figuratively, and God the Father saying, Jesus, do you know what you got there? Do you know how he's going to mess up? Do you know what he's going to do? Do you know the crazy things he's going to think sometimes? And I can only imagine Jesus stood there and patted and said, oh, but God, we choose this one. We've chosen this one from the beginning of time. And we want a permanent relationship with him. Y'all, if I can look at my child and have a permanent relationship with him, the scriptures tell us that we being parents, if our children ask for bread, won't give them a stone, then how much greater is God the Father? If I can keep that relationship with my son, how much greater can God keep that with us? Y'all, it's a permanent relationship. Not based on how you feel about it. It's based on his commitment to us. And so we need to understand that. So we need to understand that we have an intentional, intimate, and permanent relationship with God the Father. And the picture he gives us of that is adoption. So what do we learn from that? What do we take away from that? Here's the first thing. Remember your name. How many of y'all remember when you were kids and you're, you were going out and your parents on a Friday night and you were going out and your parents would say, remember your name. Did any parents in here ever hear that? Anybody in here hear that? Maybe that was just regional. Some maybe have heard that or used that with your kids. Yeah. And what they meant was, 
when my parents would say that to us as we were headed out, they, what they meant was, don't bring shame on this family. Remember your name. You belong to a family, and everything you do affects that family. Can I tell you, one of the things we need to understand is we need to remember our name. When we go to lunch today, we need to remember our name. When we go to work tomorrow, we need to remember our name. And our name is Christian. And we need to remember that. And we need to remember the intentionality that God the Father put behind giving us that name. It didn't come by accident. And so we need to remember our name. And then the second thing is we need to be intentional and live our lives out reaching out to other orphans. Y'all, this whole who's your one is an adoption process. That's exactly what that is. Orphan Sunday is coming up the first part of November. It would be wonderful if we saw some of the orphans that we're praying for, spiritual orphans that we're praying for, come forward and say, I've been adopted by God the Father. Y'all, now's your opportunity. If you have never experienced that with God the Father, Thomas is going to be here at the front. Our associate pastor will be here at the front. You come and talk to him about that. We'd love to talk to you about that. If you're looking for a church home, this is your opportunity. Y'all, God's up to something as we do life together here at First Baptist. And we're excited to be a part of that. But if you just need time to just kneel where you are or come to the front and just thank God for your adoption and for your intimate, intentional, and permanent relationship with Him, then this is your opportunity to do that. I'll pray, we'll sing, and your opportunity to respond to what God's calling you to do. Let me pray. Father, I just come to you now, and I thank you for, Father, I thank you for my adoption into your family. Father, I thank you that you saw fit to bring me into that. And that, Father, I, when you called, responded. Father, I thank you for my children and the picture of your adoption of us, your gospel that you've given to my family in that. Father, may we see today people walk out of here no longer orphans, but walk out of here as full-fledged members of your family. First, in your son's name I pray. Amen.